Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Car Ride Conversations. This is the segment of my podcast that essentially takes place in my car. And until the end of this year's federal elections in Canada, it will be exclusively dedicated to bringing you different candidates from different parties, all uh, running for office. My guest today is Mr. Mark Miller. He is the incumbent member of parliament and liberal candidate for the riding of Ville-Marie-le-Sud-Ouest-Ile-des-Sars. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Just for everyone listening uh, or watching, this is, uh, we don't even know what take this is. 18. Uh, 18. (laughs) The first recording, we had issues with it. (laughs) So I I didn't, I I couldn't put it up. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't going to be good enough. So I appreciate the fact that you took, uh, that you're taking some time again to, uh, to record this. My, my positions have matured. They have since a couple of days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so so let, let's just uh, go over a few things that we had discussed. Uh, this was your first mandate. Yes. Uh, tell me a little bit how that was for you. Uh, of course, uh, you know, back in 2015, you were that rookie politician. Um, you know, aside from having to learn different uh, workings in government and uh, the, the different committees and all that stuff. Uh, tell me a little bit, you know, the, the, how you got accustomed to becoming uh, the politician challenges that you had to face and how you overcame. Oh, wow. Big question. It could take up the whole 20 minutes. Um, oh, look, I, I, am a guy who was born raised in Montreal and other than, other than about eight years where I worked abroad in, uh, in New York city and, and Stockholm as a lawyer, I, uh, I, I, I this is my city. Uh, I studied here. Uh, I met my wife here, although she's a, she's from Sweden now a Canadian citizen. Uh, this is the place where we want to raise our kids. And so coming from the public, se- uh, private sector rather, uh, in, in the field of mergers and acquisitions, I thought I could bring a, a, a skill set to a part of the city that I know and love uh, and feel uh, feel very attached to and even more so now. Uh, I can't even remember what I expected. I mean, this has been a complete eye-opener. You know, you think you know your city, uh, but the reality of it is most of us live in a bubble. Uh, and so too for me. And just discovering the diversity uh, the range of people that live in this riding, the challenges. Uh, you can only do that by meeting people, by talking them to, to them and, and, and doing something that a lot of us politicians have trouble doing, which is listening. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I discovered a city that for me uh, is the best in Canada, but also a city with a lot of challenges. Uh, uh, infrastructure deficit, you see these orange cones going around. Uh, they're not there for, uh, for, 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 for aesthetics, <laughs> clearly not. Uh, it's because we faced an undercapitalization in key infrastructures over, over more than 10 years. And this is something our government's invested in uh, for Montreal, $330 million in, in, uh, in, in social housing. And then, in, and then in, in infrastructure, raw infrastructure, bricks and mortar type stuff, fixing, uh, fix it, fixing wastewater projects. Uh, we've put in, uh, with, tra- with public transport, close to $4 billion. And so that's something we can be immensely proud of, but that's a need that Canadians wanted and Montreal's, Montrealers wanted, uh, making sure people uh, travel to work was safe, efficient, so they can get home uh, to see their families. I've got, in this riding, 15 metro stations. Wow. Uh, you know, it's massive. It's probably the most in, in, in Canada. And so that, that that is top of mind to me. The income disparity was key. Uh, it, it, it is city centres, like, like the far north, even though uh, city centres have fewer families in the aggregate, have the same dynamic of having, on average, poorer families. It, it, the, this riding has an average income 
that is above the median income. And that's a big indicator of, of disparity and you see it uh, and you feel it every day by going and meeting people. Yeah. So that social housing investment that, that I mentioned, um, making sure that public transport available to all was there uh, were, were key elements uh, for me and something that I discovered and was reinforced by having those successive conversations. And it goes to the reasons I got into this party. I wasn't uh, a natural Liberal Party person. I had my private practice that I, I really enjoyed, but I got in to help uh, the person that would then become the Prime Minister in Papineau in, in a way you did, George. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would have done, I did it because out of friendship, but I learned a way of interacting and meeting people and discovering both my city and my country uh, and in turn transforming a party in that image that is in large part thanks to the current prime minister that we have. And so, uh, you know, you see all these pictures of people going door to door and meeting people and making phone calls. They aren't cosmetic. You actually learn a lot. Uh, they can be frustrating, of course, but you get something out of them and it, and it directly influences policy. So long answer to say that uh, I'm a guy that loves my city. Uh, I've over the last four years, I've worked as hard as I could to make sure that people are listened to and that real action is being taken. And uh, one day these cones will be gone uh, and it'll be the product of, of work that has, you know, in fairness, work that has, that, that has been done um, in cooperation with the province and, and Montreal. Mm -hmm. But but because you, you're you're downtown, right? And it's transforming incredibly. I mean, I'm not sure what the sentiment is uh, here with the people. I mean, uh, Saint Catherine, for example, is transforming. I think today the mayor of Montreal came out and said that she's reducing speed limits uh, downtown. There's a lot of changes focused on the downtown core area. Um, how are people reacting to this? What's the how are they uh, resonating to all of that? You know, a lot of it is ca a cautious optimism, uh, frankly. You, in, in St. Henry, which we just, uh, well, we drove a little through Burgundy and came back through here, and now we're heading down towards towards uh, Griffintown. Griffintown having the largest demographic explosion hey, oh, for on sure. the island of Montreal yeah. since, since 2011. Uh, so that's, that's clearly a phenomenon that a lot of people point to. Uh, some people say unbridled development. Uh, but you also see gen gentrification in parts of, the, of my riding, including Point St. Charles, Little Burgundy that we just drove through and St. Henry, uh, you see, and that with that comes what I'd mentioned earlier uh, in income disparity. So the, the job of the federal government is, and something we did for the first time in a generation, is to make those investments in public housing and to reform something that uh, needed serious and deep reform in the Canada Child Benefit, which was benefiting uh, millionaires and not necessarily those who needed it most. Mm -hmm. So one of those things, one of the things that we did First off was to ask those that make the most in society to pay a little more, uh, cut the income tax level for the middle class and invest it heavily in families that, that do need it most. And for, for the riding that I have the honor of representing, that represents more money for 12,000 children and, and families. And that, is, uh, that has been a key driver in, 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 in taking 900,000 people out of poverty, including 300,000 children and uh you know that's 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 the job of any politician to, to focus on those that are vulnerable and you're continuing down that path right i mean in this platform you mentioned uh, uh, uh justin trudeau announced that he's going to increase the lowest non-taxable uh income to fifteen thousand dollars so there's a lot of measures that you're going to continue based on the last four years that, that you were governing well that's right and so the, the, the child the canada child benefit that i'd mentioned was increased in in, in june or, in june 
uh, and will be increased again uh, pursuant to our platform should Canadians choose to re-elect us. And the income tax, uh, the income tax measure that we instituted is, is is the result of smart policy. So for people making a little under one hundred and fifty thousand, uh, the the minimum amount will deductible amount will be fifteen thousand. So raised up, and it'll re represent a savings for families and those that need it most. Mm -hmm. uh, if you contrast that to the conservative so-called universal tax cut, mm -hmm. where everyone gets a tax cut. Someone making four hundred thousand will get a better deal than someone making forty thousand, which I feel right. is which I feel isn't fair, and it you know it, it gets couched in terms that are that are that are geared towards those who need it most. But the reality is, those who make most will benefit most. Yeah, and that's not fair. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the the feedback you're getting from the ground. You've been elected office for four years. Uh, you haven't just started campaigning. You've you know this whole year as it started, you've been on campaign right. mode pretty much. Um, tell me a little bit about um, the messages you're getting uh, from the ground. Uh, also, the fact that this year, you know, it didn't really start off on a on a good note, right? You had a series of resignations, some scandals, uh, ethics violations. Uh, did that at all change your strategy in preparation to the election? Uh, how was it on the ground when all these all these things came up this year? Well, generally, the sentiment is is good. We have a record, like you mentioned, that that. Uh, we are running on that is uh, we are we are the incumbent party so uh, people are going to put up the successes and the disappointments uh, in our face and we do need to account for that my, my job is to be accountable to the people that put me in place uh, and they have every right to take me out should they so choose uh, clearly clearly some of the challenges are the result of, of a maturing process in government that, that we faced um, we had a very long honeymoon period uh, a very successful period of renegotiating NAFTA with a very, very tough partner to the south of us. Um, but clearly, uh, at some point, uh, there, there, were, there were issues that needed to be addressed within the party as regards uh, the way the Prime Minister's office communicated with uh, cabinet ministers, with caucus members. Uh, and in some cases, uh, it, 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 got, um, it got to the point where the presence of, of, of two of those senior cabinet ministers uh, was no longer tolerable within within caucus. Mm -hmm. um, these things are unfortunate. There's a lot to be learned uh, from those experiences. Uh, the Prime Minister, even before, uh, even, even, even before uh, final decisions were made, was already acknowledging that work had to be done in the way that uh, his office did business and, and, and testified to the breakdown in communication that can occur. Mm -hmm. um, I, I give him credit. I give him modest credit for recognizing that. And addressing that from the get-go, you know, there are many caucus members that don't feel uh, listened to. They need that opportunity. One of the one of the more more quiet elements of this type of pluralist, pluralistic democracy is the, that we have is the work that's done quietly inside caucus. It's outside scrutiny from the media, but for a very important reason, is so that people who represent their ridings can express themselves freely mm -hmm. and directly to the prime minister. So what kind of impact did that have locally? I mean, you've met a lot of your, uh, a lot of your citizens. You know, in the beginning of the year, there were issues that were raised uh, uh, pertaining to um, to respect towards women and, the, you know, the whole feminist issue. And, the, uh, you know, he was criticized of being a fake feminist. Uh, did you he hear any of that on the ground meeting your citizens? Not so much. Uh, you know, it, I always scratch my head with that with that statement. It, it usually came from from partisan mm -hmm. sources because we have uh, a great number of strong women in cabinet in caucus that are fierce advocates uh, and and they they uh, they don't question the prime minister's feminism at all i think of my colleague pam demoff i think of 
Carolyn Bennett, who I've had the honor of working with over the last year directly. Uh, I think of uh, I, I think of Christian Freeland, who was so instrumental in those NAFTA re uh, mm -hmm. renegotiations. So uh, you know, it, it is um, these issues always uh, drag into partisan finger pointing at, at some point. Uh, it doesn't mean that there isn't at sometimes the need to take a look at what's going on and, and to reform the way that, that the Prime Minister communicates and his office communicates with the people that are so important uh, getting him there, including his team. Um, so, you know, what, I, what, what, I've, what I've heard on the ground uh, for the most part is uh, support for the Prime Minister, uh, support for the things that he has implemented, that we have implemented as a team over the last four years. It doesn't come without, without criticism at some mm -hmm. point. Um, and my job is to, is to listen to that criticism when it comes uh, and, and take it back yeah. and be a fierce advocate in caucus for it. You know, sometimes I can't even tell uh, the people that have talked to me that I've advocated for them because I have to keep the caucus secrecy. But uh, there are some poignant moments at the doors when, when people tell me stuff and I say, look, um, I respect your view. What is it that you'd like me to say to the prime minister? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and they tell me, and I've I've given that feedback. Yeah, and it, it, that's my job. My I should never feel that um, my job is on the line because I am afraid to say something, something that represents the truth, and uh, that's my job, and that's why I'm, I'm given such a good salary to, to to represent people here. Let's talk a little bit about the platform. There was a big movement last week. There was a huge uh, demonstration for the environment. Uh, some estimates uh, go as far as to suggest that there were half a million people. Um, obviously, there's a lot of members of, uh, of the Liberal Party present. Um, I'm just curious to know who, if you ever get elected, will be hired to count two billion trees that will be planted <laughs> across Canada. I want to know the person that's going to be lucky to get that job. <laughs> a lot of us can't count to ten. So. <laughs> uh, Sure. Uh, look, this is a this is a great analogy. Trees uh, and planting of trees have been proven to capture carbon. Uh, they they are a, a natural way of addressing uh, the pressing issue of our time, which is carbon dioxide emissions. There there are parties, including the Conservative Party, elements of which deny climate change. Uh, other parties are offering solutions that need to be examined. Uh, I would love this to be a nonpartisan debate. I would love this to be a debate about who has the best plan for the environment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think about my friend Stephen Guilbeau, who, who has a riding adjoining mine, mm -hmm. who has fought fiercely with Equiterre and uh, over the years for environmental causes. He says there's no one-stop solution, and he's right. You know, we've, we've put a price on pollution, uh, which is being contested by by right-wing premiers in courts. Uh, we ha it's it's been it's been proven to work. In Alberta, or rather in BC, uh, and and in Quebec. In Quebec, remember that four years ago, the federal government was catching up to progressive provinces, and that was our end. We've caught up. We're in some cases ahead of the game and being dragged into court on others on our jurisdiction. Uh, we respect people's rights to to go and contest us in front of the courts, uh, but the reality is that work needs to be done for the environment. So a price on carbon, uh, fixing methane regulations. Uh, an oceans protections plan that we've put 1.5 billion dollars into to, to make sure that our oceans are protected doubling the protected area on land in Canada is key along with uh, green fund investments and I think and most notably of uh, even smaller more modest investments in McGill and making sure the way they heat McGill actually reduces uh, carbon dioxide emissions 
by the equivalent of 2,000 households, 9,000 mm -hmm. uh, metric tons. All these initiatives um, that need to be put in place to uh, to make sure that it, that the issue of our generation is faced. And those people that showed up, 500,000 people, including a lot of kids, they're asking that we do more. So that you know, planting two billion trees reflects that, making sure that we continue those investments, uh, give tax breaks to the to clean tech sector businesses that want to get into the to, to a huge economy. I invite people listening to this to, to Google an article called uh, the $70 billion plan that no one has heard of. And it includes our plan to invest $25, $26 billion in green infrastructure, $26 plus dollars uh, to invest into uh, green initiatives, uh, the, the $2 billion funds for, uh, for, for clean tech. Uh, there are uh, a suite of measures, including including and let's talk about the elephant in the room uh, we uh, governing for a country that uh, has an extractive economy we can't leave our brothers and sisters in alberta behind um, as we encourage transition and so buying a pipeline that is safer than transporting by car yeah i was going to ask you about that how do you respond you see there's all these environmental issues uh, that you're addressing uh, and at the same time, the environmentalists have criticized you for buying that pipeline, which, by the way, has co well, it's cost about five five million dollars. Uh, by the time it's put into work and by the time everything is functional, uh, some experts are suggesting that it might even reach nine um, uh, nine million dollars. Um, how do you respond to the to that kind of criticism? Well, there's no denying that we are we are a net exporter of extractive products. We have an economy that is fueled by the extractive industry. And when we talk about transition, we need to talk about a just transition, uh, making sure that a pipe that those products are taken to market in a way that is safer than rail cars is smart. Uh, this, we're talking about an investment and not simply a cost. There is value in that pipeline. Mm -hmm. I, I don't propose that a government should all the time be in the, in the business of owning pipelines, but we've undertaken as a government to invest any profits into uh, into green initiatives technologies, yeah. and by accounts that, that that can range to several hundred million dollars a year uh you know we will face we will inevitably face that criticism but we do have to govern for the entire country and uh i don't believe in leaving my brothers and sisters in alberta behind do you think that you know andrew Shear has proposed uh, uh i can't remember exactly how he called it but it, it's basically a uh green tunnel or a green gateway um, to transport resources, whether they're natural resources or pipelines or whatever, across Canada from coast to coast. In, in, fr from your party's perspective, is there any possibility that we uh, will see pipelines coming uh, towards Quebec or eastward? You know, this is a, this is a case of Andrew Scheer uh, picking his pandering. And uh, he has said multiple times he will respect jurisdictions. Uh, will respect provincial jurisdictions until he wants to ram a pipeline down, down, down people's throats. We have a robust revision review mechanism in the National Energy Board that we fixed uh, in order to take a look at private proposals. Uh, the, real, the, the reality that Energy East didn't go forward was because the business case was no longer there. Whether you talk about the business case, uh, it, it largely being supplanted by the approval of of Keystone um, and Trans Mountain, the business case simply wasn't there. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, other than the um, 
the opportunistic double speak that I see coming from the leader of the Conservative Party, uh, there are issues of, of, of real business issues. Uh, what that what that flow of extractive material would go for, go to where it would get refined. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the stuff that is coming out of that party uh, is historic. Uh, he talks about Saudi Arabia uh, oil going into Quebec, which is false. Um, the, the reversal of the 9B line uh, reversed or at least fixed a lot of the disparity that you saw between East and West mm -hmm. in terms of how uh, how oil flows. Oil is, is, is in terms of its flow uh, in a commercial setting internationally is complex. There are some refined materials that come in from different countries. Canadian uh, Dilbit, as they call it, is exported to U.S. refineries and re-imported. Uh, that is just the nature and complex nature of international trade that is reflected as well in the oil industry. Mm -hmm. So he would have to put together a proposal, and this is speculation on my part, but he would have to put together a proposal that would actually make business sense. And you know, over and above some of what I see as the opportunistic doublespeak, there's a business case here that just makes very little sense. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to close it up soon. I know you're busy. I want to talk about uh, the, the debate that happened uh, uh, this week. It was the first uh, last, night. That, last night. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure when this episode will uh, will air, probably uh, tomorrow. So um, the first leaders debate, it was in French. There were some uh, hot topics there. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on, in general, uh, and I don't know, it's hard to be objective because <laughs> you're obviously going to support your leader. But I got a shout out from yeah. the block leader. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> No, I didn't. Well, yeah, during the debate. Yes, yes, yes. You came under fire for Bill 21 there. Um, but just as objectively as you can, what are your thoughts on the debate? How do, how do you think um, the leaders performed? Well, I thought, I think people saw uh, some debates of substance over uh, over issues that Quebecers in particular want, want to talk about. Uh, what you did see on the whole, other than, than Andrew Shears proposals were progressive proposals and and discussions on values uh, I saw I saw the prep prime minister that I know and recognize uh, I saw a prime minister that is willing to stand up for all Quebecers all Canadians uh, and someone that um, that is willing to assume the consequences of his policies uh, whether people like them or not I think I think people derive a lot of comfort in that in knowing who Justin Trudeau is uh, and what to expect out of a prime minister that they've seen for the last four years. So I'm quite proud of uh, the way he debated. Uh, I think uh, I think that uh, Mr. Blanchet expressed himself well and, and eloquently. Um, Jagmeet Singh did did so as well. Uh, his, his French was quite good, and so uh, I was impressed. That, you know, this is a bilingual country. Uh, English and French have equal status, and it is a it's great to see leaders put such effort into into speaking in French because uh, we're talking about people that have that as a mother tongue not only in Quebec but across Canada and uh, you know whether it's Acadians whether it's Franco Ontarians Franco Albertans Franco Manitobas there's there's a real element uh, of of pride in your identity as as expressed <coughs> in language and it, and people want to hear and expect their leaders to be to be capable in those languages. Yeah. So, I actually like the French debates because, it, for me, it, it embodies it, it, what I see as Canada, which is uh, a beautiful country characterized by two official languages. And I, I, you know, I, I give them all credit for for making the effort, even those who don't speak as well. 
because I do know that they make that effort and we face that even as a party within caucus encouraging yeah. our colleagues that, to speak and conversely those that have a little more trouble with English to, to, to work on that. One, one of the issues there during the debate that was really uh, highly uh, uh, debated was Bill 21. Uh, obviously, François Blanchet, being from the Bloc Québécois, who has supported that uh, that uh, provincial bill here in Quebec, I, I think he seemed to be the only one pretty much supporting it during the debate. <clears throat> um, now, the campaign started and all the leaders were kind of, uh, you know, uncomfortable uh, towards that uh, towards that new bill in Quebec. And then finally, Justin Trudeau is the only one that kind of left the door open uh, to challenging it. Is it really going to happen? What are your thoughts? I mean, should you guys get elected? Are you going to look into this Bill 21 to the whole uh, application uh, or the applicability of the notwithstanding clause? And of course, it's being contested now in Quebec. So of course, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, what are your thoughts on that, on Bill 21? Well, you, you touch on a really important point, George. And, and again, it doesn't, no matter what Justin Trudeau thinks, uh, no matter what Monsieur Legault thinks, uh, at the end of the day, a court will decide uh, that said, it is irresponsible for any person aspiring to be prime minister to close the door on, on, on the federal government intervening in an issue uh, of particular importance uh, to Canadians. We're talking about the suspension of very fundamental rights. Look at this riding and the people that could be potentially affected that would become second-class citizens. Look at the profound issues of uh, discussion on the place of religion within within the Constitution. Uh, you know. Mr. Blanchet called me out uh, last night, but the only, yes, the only thing I'm, I'm guilty of is knowing the constitution that he wants to rip in half. So um, th this is this is something that the Canadians are profoundly touched by. This isn't about uh, disrespecting jurisdiction, which is properly provincial and that of the Quebec government and, and the government of François de Gaulle. I have deep respect for for him and his and his jurisdiction and the Quebecers that, that he serves. Uh, but this is about standing up for minorities. For, for women, and uh, and everyone expects the Prime Minister to do so. Um, it's important to note that our, com our, our Constitution is a very complex document. Uh, provincial governments uh, have us in court over, over the price on pollution. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is something that is done, it isn't done as, as a matter of course, it's done with some seriousness, but we would not ask them not to intervene. They, this is a right that you have under the Constitution, mm -hmm. and they, in their own right, in, in their decision, are, are taking decisions in, for the for the best interest of people that were elected to get there. So I have no particularly quarrel, even if you take someone into court with with that government. It's a respectful disagreement that the courts will decide yeah. between two uh, mature levels of government. You also came under fire uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with respect to a recent nomination that was. Uh that was made uh, for uh, an honorary consul uh, yes. of Syria. Uh, last time we, we spoke, and obviously that episode didn't air because of the problems we had, but I'm curious to see the developments in that. You had mentioned to me that Christian Freeland was going to take, uh, uh, was going to make a decision. This is an individual who seems to have very close ties to the Assad regime. Um, he was in your riding. Uh, he had participated at a fundraising event where I believe Justin Trudeau was present as well. Uh, this is where all the issue had started. Uh, is there any developments in that? Uh, his honorary uh, consulate was revoked. Uh, he had expressed some very strong opinions in, uh, I believe, McLean's magazine uh, about uh, about the white helmets and, uh, and various uh, various views that were very uh, abhorrent, in my view, 
uh, pro Assad. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a person that I, that I met in uh, the charitable context for the Syrian community. Uh, Syria, the Syrian community is, is very near and dear to my heart because my my office has been working relentlessly to help some of the 50,000 refugees that have come here integrate uh, and some of the challenges they, they have and they've turned to our office and uh, it's been a real honor to serve them. So that included attending charitable events, um, in one case with the mayor of Montreal at the time at uh, Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, he was one of the organizers along with the Syrian Cultural Center. So I had known him in this in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in very much a charitable context. We had very very few conf- conversations, mostly around around those initiatives. And um, he uh, he was invited to uh, a fundraiser and contributed. Uh, and then this was to my uh, he's a Canadian, so he's entitled to donate. Mm-hmm. And um, he did donate to an event I held, um, I think in 2017. So he would have been on the list of people contacted for when the prime minister came. You know, the, the suggestion is that uh, people get something for their donations, which is, you know, it's preposterous. There's no way any member of parliament would be influenced by a donation. Um, the limit is $1,600. Uh, this event was much less. So, but you know, it, all you're entitled to is at these events is a picture. People know that, um, and they know that uh, they know that they are not to discuss uh, elements mm-hmm. of things. But you know, mm-hmm. uh, you're in the business of meeting people. Uh, as as a member of Parliament, you meet everyone. You don't do forensic audits on them. Yeah. And it is uh, it, 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 that engagement for me is not going to stop with the Syrian community. They are uh, they are rich in their diversity, rich in their views. They are they have political views that differ, um, but they will be Canadians that will contribute to Canadian society. So. Um, you know these events. These events do happen, and everyone that is a member of parliament uh, is in the business of meeting people. Yeah. Uh, let's close it up. I know you got to get back to uh, to campaigning. Yeah. Uh, any uh, anything you want to tell the the people listening, uh, residents that are living in your riding? Uh, there's about two weeks left into the campaign. Twenty nineteen days. So um, you're in the last stretch. Oh look, I'll, I'll leave this off on a nonpartisan note. Uh, it's so important for a pluralistic d- democracy for people to go out and express their will, and that means writing uh, their choice on a piece of paper for who they who they want to represent them. I do hope that's me, uh, but even if it isn't, get out there, vote, uh, vote for who you feel would best represent this part of Montreal uh, th- that I I know and love. I, it's so fundamental to being Canadian uh, and participating in, in in the best country in the world. So. Everyone on October 21st, get out and vote. If you can't uh, and you're in my riding, you can head out uh, the, to the advanced polls, which are happening over Thanksgiving. If you have better things to do over Thanksgiving, uh, you can vote anytime. In fact, across from the uh, the IGA in St. Henry, right beside St. Henry Metro, you just have to go in and, and, and you know, write, write the name down on the ballot and that will count. So get out there, vote, and uh, enjoy being in the best country in the world. I appreciate it, Mark. Good Thanks, luck buddy. with everything, and yeah. uh, I'll be following uh, very closely the results on the 21st there. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah, All right.